Well, if, okay. you're, if you're ready, we'll, we'll launch. <laughs> we'll launch. <laughs> oh, man. Notes from the Drift, part one. Outcasts, alone in all-night coffee shop contemplation, dream of a free and wild humanity. Rebels of breath in dusty road seclusion hold vigils for a universe without end. Wanderers at home in the back alleys of infinite earth dissolve brickwork boundaries between mind and body. Living irregularities in the plasma of human destiny, we all seek. Seek original rumination, seek Baudelaire's sense of existence, immensely increased. The ordinary have such grandeur. An immensity nests in the simple that assaults our mediocrity. Species haunted, tangled in a world roaming daydream, memories pursue us. The intimate world of our ancestors calls out from living root and bone branch, made so by virtue of itself, immediately sacred. The men and women of old lived as their natures prompted, walked as we hope to, on the edge of everything. Complicated and eurythmic creatures, endowed with genius, suffering and sighing every beautiful ambition, we have such immensity. In flesh, in bone, in blood, the ancient effort of our species to remain barefoot upon this world. Advocate of mind-body culture, a fusion of a writer and fighter, poet and author here with me today to talk about his new book, Notes from the Drift, a collection of observations, anecdotes in which the protagonist, the traveler discovers wisdom in the most uncommon of spaces and ultimately finding that the only destination to any journey is not the arrival, but the person you become along the way. Welcome to my series of 10 podcasts, Anthony Gilbert. You got it. <laughs> Thought I'd have a good go. Good go with that. And I got close to it. Thank you. Right. So thank you for that fantastic introduction, that reading from your book. And it touches on many themes that perhaps we can run through in this short podcast today. But I'd like to start off with, you could introduce something about yourself, uh, your background, and a little bit behind the book and how you came to be where you are today. It's not just a linear journey, but it's, it's literally just pieces out of 30 years of journals. And in that 30 year time span, um, uh, black belted in judo when I was 18, uh, Aikido when I was 26, um, Found Tai Chi after a car accident that damaged my back. Studied uh, Chen, a little bit of Chen, Wu, and Yang style, and got into Qigong extensively. Um, certified as a teacher with uh, Rajayanka in the Institute of Integral Qigong and Tai Chi in California. The book 
I have to say defies even me in terms of explanations. I know what I set out to do and I'm not sure that I hit my mark, but it created something authentic in the process. If you wanted to look at the book, uh, you know, if you really wanted a, a pat answer for what it is, it's you could say it's a Taoist-inspired wanderer's collection of spiritually-inspired prose poems. You could say it is uh, anecdotes and allegories from a spiritual life. Um, the notes that created Notes in the Drift are really just my observations of classical Zen and Taoist ideas in, an, in a com, you know, contemporary landscape. Um, one of the things I was trying to work out for myself was a simple belief that I have, which is that if something like Taoism, which professes to be universal, is truly universal, it's gonna exist in every culture and have an individualistic cultural experience. So what the way yin and yang is understood in China is not gonna be the way yin and yang is really understood in America or in England or in Europe. I think every, every culture is gonna have different expressions of the Tao, as that, because every culture is, you know, painted differently every um they're just expressions of human possibilities so that's what i was trying to work out and as i was going through my journals i just found a thread and followed it and this is and the book is the product of that thread what i'd like to do is to talk about just some of the main themes that through the book okay one of those themes that is very much there in the introduction and is seen again and again throughout is this this idea of changing borders fluid, the fluidity of edges, the constant references to coastal spaces that are permanently undergoing change, this idea of travel and wandering and where possibility of change resides, I suppose. You're living in Colorado, is that yes. right at the moment? Currently, yep. It's not known, is it, Colorado, for its coastal waters? No, but I grew up on Long Island, which is in New York, and spent a lot of my time on, you know, I'd say the first 35 years of my life on the East Coast. Um, before moving to the West. And I've traveled back and forth across the country a few times. So the waterways and the, the moving edges that you see throughout the piece are both um, from my youth spent on the Atlantic coast to um, waterways, the Mississippi, um, lakes and rivers here in the high Rockies. Um, all of those you know, edges are changing and moving. Some of them are disappearing, unfortunately, but that's a whole probably different podcast. <laughs> and these edges that you describe in language very much related to shifting processes, is that something that you were intending to confine to that world? Or was there another layer here that I'm probably misreading into it? Well, I was looking at the transition between... Uh, I don't want to say this. So when we practice Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga or any, you know, mind-body practice, we start off with an awareness of ourselves being, well, let's say we hope, not start off with, but we hope to achieve an awareness of ourselves as the fluid being. What I've done is then looked for that sense of fluidity that I have in my practice in the outside world and made note of it. Um, being a writer, I made note of it in a way that would be pleasing to people. Um, but looking to experience those things that we have in our practices in the world, that's to me is the ultimate expression of our studies. How does fluidity move beyond the form into our awareness of the, the world around us? And I think it, it will probably, to some extent, if you follow it, move it into um, the, the, the natural world, the world that humans have created, um, clearly, there's a lot of fluidity going on politically in the, in the, in the globe. Um, 
changing borders, changing alliances. I don't know that um, I don't know that I'm the right person to speak to any of that, but I'm I'm experiencing it along with everybody else, and that's what I was trying to get across. And maybe in some sense, of rerouting ourselves back to our origins and nature, you know, as a practice into itself. I think that's quite an interesting subject that comes up so often in the book about this this sense of movement. Um, I get from your writings that there is in the process of movement and travel, there is this unveiling of language that enables us to understand and interpret what's happening around us in the way that movement, we're such a sedentary race at the moment, we're so still that we've lost that vocabulary, if you like. Is that what, is, is that partly a, a valid reading of it or am I just making that up? <laughs> no, I think it's a valid reading of the, of the text. Um, I think to some extent we did, I don't think life has ever been easy, so I don't believe that there was this romantic, idyllic, utopian time in humanity that the Chinese kind of revert back to as, you know, in their prehistory. I don't, I don't, I don't see any reference to that, you know. Um, uh, my partner's an anthropologist. It's just not in the record, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not there. But what there is, is there, uh, there are examples of people who lived closer to nature, who lived, who were more in harmony with nature, and one of the things that people don't kind of skip over, one of the things that I'd say the whole new age movement skips over is that being in harmony with nature also means that you are not in charge. Nature is in charge. And nature can be unpredictable, violent at times. Um, and you have to learn to move through that. I think it's one of the things that we forget within the martial arts is that combat, which I have not engaged in in quite a long time, <laughs> um, is a reality in the natural world. You know, learning to deal with unexpectedness that hurts, whether it is, um, you know, an opponent, or it is uh, a landscape that you have to transverse, or it's just the stresses of normal life. Um, we live in a, probably the most stressful time in human history. Learning to accept that, yeah, it's gonna be difficult, but I can move through it. And that moving through it is also part of the Tao, if you will. You know, it's right. not meant, it's not going to be idyllic and easy, but we can, we've always gotten through it. And I think that's one of the point of the point of the book is this reflection on the idea that we've always moved and to quote a section of the book, we've always softened the edges with our bones. The idea of movement through things, the, the idea of obstacles and difficulties and um, engaging with them is, is, is again something that comes up regularly in, in the book. And it's, it's about this wonderful idea that is inherent in Chinese philosophy, not always Taoism, sometimes it's there in Confucianism and in other Chinese philosophers, but this idea that we give out to the world, it's our cultivating our interactions with others is what's important. Mm -hmm. It can be done on a regular daily basis, you know, just interacting in a meaningful way with people. Politically on the, on the left, we always talk about accomplishing very grand schemes of things. And we very much don't talk about what we can do uh, on a very personal basis with each other. This book, I think, is is great in the way that it talks about finding purpose in the ordinary, of which we tend to skip over. We do, we do. We, we, I mean, we're our cultures are driven a lot by entertainment, and our cultures tend to be driven a lot by uh, satisfaction. And one of the things that... And, and, that that creates a sense that we have to take in to be satisfied. And I've always held the belief, and I, I don't remember if I got it from a teacher or if I just kind of fell upon it myself, but um, it's what I give to the world that lasts. 
I had a very, I remember, a very disturbing conversation with a very early girlfriend who turned around and I was trying to explain to her, I have no way of actually perceiving your love for me. You know, everything, I mean, I'm looking at it through my lens, you're looking at it through your lens, and we're not really ever going to be on the same page because we've never had the same experiences. And then you can get into the whole idea that physiologically we process information differently. So what, what can I be sure of? And what I kind of came to was the only thing I can ever be sure of is what I create, what I put into the world. If I love somebody and I, I give them my love, I'm sure of my love. If I create compassion in the world, I'm sure of my compassion. And I shouldn't need to keep acting because people are giving to me. So that's I try to write that into the book, the idea that what's important is what we create in the world and what we put into the world, not what we take from it. There is this other theme which I think that I wanted to talk to you about, which was this partly about what we're just discussing here, this, this idea of referencing spiritual disciplines, but without necessarily referring to them in a structural way. So, I mean, I think there's a quote I've got for you written down somewhere where you say, um, here it is, nothing is holy, yet everything is sacred. And there's this idea that you, you respect and, and adhere to certain traditions. But on the other hand, I can't help feeling that underneath there is this undermining of some of the more spiritual structures that are there in the world. Am I, am I misreading again? Oh, no, not at all. Um, <clears throat> no, I am a bit of a spiritual anarchist. I have to just I'll own that one. I wanted to put forward the idea that um, so many teachers, it seems more and more with every pass, I mean, the head of the Naropa school just, just got nailed on, on sex charges. And you see this more and more where mm. people and spiritual people in positions of authority blow their authority by giving into base needs. And at some point, mm -hmm. that's going to pollute the traditions. I mean, let's face it, Buddha mm -hmm. said that uh, Buddhism would last a thousand years, 500 if they allowed women into the Sangha, and we're 2,600 years past that. So there is some question as to whether or not the teachings are still um, pure. And the more and more I see teachers fail like this. But I do also believe that every insight that you find in Lazu, Xuanzu, uh, Menikis, uh, any of them, was an insight that somebody, an ordinary person gained by simply looking at the world. And I think that in that sense, all of us have the tools to simply be aware and look at the world and derive our own wisdom from it, not seek the wisdom of others who in some cases may be spiritually bankrupt and just have a good marketing team. This is a new book. It's available on paperback, in paperback and in uh, digital format is that right yeah it's uh, it's on kindle <clears throat> it's a it's available as kindle book and it's also available in paperback um it's available through amazon and it's available through my website which you'll get a link back to my publisher and we're offering all sorts of discounts now on the website um so Excellent. people can pick it up Excellent. there yeah okay. listen anthony uh, many thanks for joining me here today just tell people where they can find you Okay, www.anthonygilbert.net. And on social media, are you still hiding from I'm that, still hiding from social first... media, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. So the website's the best place to track you down. Be the website's the best place to track me down. And if I am on any social media, you'll find it linked there. Um, and as well, I mean, if you've purchased the book and read it and you want to reach out, I'm very much... In interested in hearing what people have to say about it because it is 
one of the most unique experiences I've had writing a book. And I think the book is more a product of, I feel sometimes just the conduit for it. I don't want to say it was divinely inspired, but I think it has many authors and I'm just one of them. Many thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. It's a mystery. I don't like mysteries. Give me a bellyache and I got a beauty right now. and prosper.